Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. bless you. Welcome to the broadcast today. I'm Pastor Vincent Xavier. It's good to be with you. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 24 today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the reasons why and some other passages of scripture is because we haven't been there in a while, and there are so many things happening in the world today, and rather than getting all disgruntled by these things or uh, angry or miffed, or impatient, I think the best thing to do is go back into Scripture and take a look at world events through a biblical lens and come up with an interpretation. So that's what we're going to do today on this 16th day of June, 2022. Can you believe that? (laughs) Can you believe it is the year 2022? Now, we're in the month of June. We are already halfway through the year of 2022, and the acceleration and the momentum of the way things are going, and I'm going to go over some information that we have been talking about for quite some time, Uh, so I'd love for you to get your notepad out, get a piece of uh, paper and pencil and pen and cross-reference scripture as I'm talking. May the Holy Spirit quicken you to write down some notes, maybe some epiphanies, uh, the spirit of wisdom, revelation knowledge. We certainly need the Holy Spirit of the living God to navigate through the times that we live in. And for anybody that has followed our ministry for any period of time, 
you, you realize that we're more on a prophetic path um, rather than just, you know, navigating with information. I mean, everything we're doing is really prophetic, and it's the Spirit of the Lord that's doing it. For example, uh, many, many years ago, in 2003, so we're going back now 19 years ago, in 2003, as I've said before, and this has nothing to do with me, by the way. I don't know why God did this with me, why I'm on this computer, why I'm on this podcast, saying what I'm saying, but I just know it's from the Lord. I know his hand is upon it. But I remember in 2003, I used to, when I was living in San Diego, California, um, I used to walk around and I used to walk up this mountain almost every other day, if not every day. Uh, every uh, chance I could, I'd take a walk and I'd go across this barren field. Uh, it was just empty. Today it's filled with brand new homes and all of that. But I used to walk across that massive field and then up to the top of uh, this mountain, and it was called Black Mountain. In, uh, <clears throat> it was in Rancho Bernardo, Penasquitas area. So I'd walk up to the top of this mountain, and I'd carry a shofar with me. And I remember this was going on for, gosh, months uh, at the beginning. And I'd get up to the top of the mountain, and I'd blow my shofar to the north, the east, the south, and the west, and I would just blow my shofar. I'd make declarations, proclamations, et cetera, et cetera. And um, <clears throat> it was uh, – and I'm going way back now. I'm, I'm really thinking it was around 2000, 2001, because I was just getting ready to get on radio. <clears throat> and I remember the day that I got a call from the radio station in La Jolla, K uh, – K, was it KPRT or K Praise? I think it was K Praise out of uh, La Jolla. And <clears throat> the day they called me and said they wanted me to do radio on this AM station, um, all those months I'd been walking to the top of that mountain, I finally saw around the Spence area this big tower, and it was a radio tower. And I realized that I'd been walking up on this mountain, blowing the show far, preaching where nobody could hear me. I'm at the top of a very high, you know, mountain. And that day, uh, there was this little sign. I just never took the time to look at it before. And it was a radio tower. And then they're calling me saying, well, we're going to accept you under the radio broadcast. And so I'd been kind of in rehearsal. But in 2003, when I was still walking these mountains in this particular day, I was walking through a park. And the park, um, you know, my memory now, it's uh, Lake Hodges. And at Lake Hodges, uh, right on the border of Escondido and Rancho Bernardo, off the 15 freeway, uh, I would drop my daughter, Danielle, off at school. Uh, she was just a little kid, at the, a little child at the time. And then I would come back and I would get out of my car in this big, massive park. I mean, you could walk all over the place for hours. Um, there was a lake there and the whole bit. And I took my shofar and I'd walk down the park and I'd uh, just be doing my thing and uh, this one particular day, I would just I just went for a walk, and I'm walking. I have my Bible with me. I always carried the Word with me, and I remember sitting at a bench, and I heard in my spirit, "Do not pray for this country any longer. Rather, pray for my people." to navigate, to be able to navigate through the times that are coming on this country. 
I heard that as clearly, I hope, as you're hearing my voice right now. I heard that voice, and I heard that voice say, don't pray for America. Don't pray for this country. Well, what I normally do when I hear something, I want it confirmed in the Word of God. So, you know, I remember right there with my Bible in hand on the bench, opening my Bible, and I'm not, I'm not toying with this. It may not be the exact detail of everything, but um, I found this passage in my Bible, and it was in the book of Jeremiah, and <clears throat> it says there in the book of Jeremiah in three different places, and I'm going to begin Jeremiah 7:16. Now, this is the word of God backing up what I heard. Therefore, God speaking to Jeremiah Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Wow. And then it goes on into another passage, as you keep studying this out, in chapter 11, of Jeremiah, and in verse 14, Jeremiah 11:14, it came out again. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. I'm not going to listen when they cry unto me. It's getting more progressive where God is shutting the door and praying for a country. And God is saying, do not pray for the Judeo-Christian country called America. And I'm going, wow, that's pretty heavy. And then another time this comes out is in chapter 15. And um, let me find the exact spot here. In Jeremiah chapter, oh, or chapter 15, verse 1, I think I had something there. Oh, yeah, this is amazing. In Jeremiah 15, 1, then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And there is another time where the Lord said the same exact thing. Uh, oh, here it is. Well, we just read that one. So, so we have these passages, and I'm thinking to myself, Wow, the Spirit of the Lord has just spoken to my heart. I know his voice. And then he's confirmed three times in his word. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, where Jesus said, Father, I do not pray for the world, but I pray. Let me go there, John, chapter 17. But I pray for those of mine who are in the world. Okay, that's the paraphrase. Um, and I'm just going to pray in verse 15. So John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 15. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And But there's it even gets more... Uh, Intense, so neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me. And he literally says, I pray not for the world. I pray not for the world. And, you know, that's a, that's a very powerful 
thought when you think about it. Now, obviously, when I was done getting the confirmations in the Word, having heard it by the Spirit, it was sealed upon my heart. And from that day, and we're going back to 2003, 19 years ago, I have never prayed for this country, but I have prayed for God's people to navigate through what has come. And then in 2003, at the same exact time, I remember the Lord saying, America has crossed the point of no return. America has gone beyond turning back. Hard saying. Now, of course, in 2003, there weren't so many issues It wasn't so bad. I mean, we just had the 9-11 event a year and a half earlier or whenever it was. And, um, you know, there was a shaking going on. There were some things that were happening, but men weren't marrying men and transvestites weren't running rampant through through the schools of America. There weren't too many school shootings and mass shootings. And we didn't have the kind of insanity that we have today, obviously. Well, this is 19 years ago. Don't pray for this country. Pray for my people. America has crossed the point of no return. And I'll never forget the day that was confirmed when I heard it in my spirit. And then that gentleman, the, the judge in Alabama, uh, was, he was getting arrested or for something where the Ten Commandments, he had to pull the Ten Commandments down out of the courthouse in Alabama. And I remember coming home and I shared that with Patricia and she sat there in tears, came down her eyes, and she said, We have crossed the point of no return. I never told her what God has spoken in my heart about that. And when she said we've crossed the point of no return, man, again, another confirmation. So for the last 19 years, we just will not pray for America. And while we didn't make friends and influence people, in fact, we were somewhat ostracized and isolated in many different ways. Uh, Because people didn't want to hear that message because they felt that, you know, God is for us and who could be against us and on and on and on. But 19 years later, the reality is, is that America has crossed the point of no return long ago. But we began to take heed to that message. We began to realize that that message was designed by God to refocus our attention and get us ready for what would come upon this earth. And so that's what we have been doing, and we've been doing it for a very long time, warning as often as we could, staying true to what we heard, not vacillating when, you know, even when Donald Trump was the president, there was never, let's, you know, pray for America, make America great. We never went with that flow. We knew that he was an accelerant that was accelerating the divine justice of God and judgment upon our nation. And I've said that many, many times. So staying true to the course now. Here we are today, and it's getting spookier and spookier and spookier um, as you begin to witness that a new world order has already come into power in many ways. Um, A new environment, a new society has already been constructed in many ways. And yet the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, the true ecclesia, they have remained Uh, the same in their allegiance. Now, I'm not saying that the church has been perfect through any, by any means through all of this. In fact, many have fallen away already. Many fell away to lukewarmness. Many fell away to compromise. Many fell away to capitulation. Many have fallen away in this country and sided with the evil agenda 
within our nation. And that's, that's bizarre to me. I don't know anybody who reads their Bible could ever side with such an evil agenda, but they have. So those who have been uh, remaining true, those who have remained faithful to the Lord, uh, they have just continued on and navigating through. And the, and the idea was pray for the saints that they might be able to navigate through the times that are coming on the earth. And now we're at a time where it has become so out of the closet and in your face, evil and satanic and demonic in every sector of our society. The inevitable collapse of the United States is here. God's people need to be really uh, being led, pioneering through the, te- the days we're living in. And for Christians to be sitting still in their easy chair, thinking that it's, you know, this is the way it's always been and we're going to get through it. and It's going to go back to normal. Um, that is really insane uh, for a Christian man or a Christian woman today to say, well, it's all coming back to normal again is very, very, very dark um, if we don't recognize. So I thought, well, here's what we'll do. We'll walk through this again. We'll get into the scriptures and we'll see what God has to say, you know, and I'm just telling just a little bit about our story. And for those of you that may be listening for the first time, if there's anybody out there, uh, this ministry was also designed by God prophetically to be a watchman ministry. It has nothing to do with a person. But on 9-03-2001, on September 3rd, 2001, this man that you're looking at or listening to right now, uh, was in Denver, Colorado at the Denver airport uh, around three o'clock in the morning. I was privileged to fly a multi-million dollar flight simulator. And I remember on the third day of September 2001, after speaking at a conference in Kremlin, Colorado with Bill and Marcia Burns, that Paul, Michael, and I, my two brothers in the Lord, we drove down to Denver to see another brother, John, who worked on the multi-million dollar flight simulators. And it was my turn to fly. And I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I flew out of Newark. I flew over Jersey City, Hoboken, over the Hudson River, went into New York, flew around Central Park, and I got bored. I just got giddy and bored. It was around 3 in the morning. I was tired. I took the airplane, and it's like flying a real plane. It's crazy, those simulators. It's where they train the pilots. And I banked, and I went south. I saw the Twin Towers. I took my plane. I flew it into the Twin Towers. Everybody laughed. Ha, ha, ha. We went home. Eight days later... Planes were flown into the Twin Towers on 9-11-2001. And I remember weeping and crying out to God saying, how is this possible? And that's when God spoke to me and he said, I want you to pay attention to everything you do, every little thing you say, everything that comes out of your mouth, every little joke, every little thing. I want you to pay attention. And my, my, my heightened awareness was just accelerated. And I, I just felt like at that time, I have been watching everything every day and proclaiming, along with this other information, don't pray for this country. Things are going to get messy. It's not going to return. It's crossed the point of no return. So rather than wasting my time in going to all these different places where people were doing their conferences and their praying and everything, and I never resented anybody. It's what you're called to do. Do it. But it hasn't prevailed. The prayers that have gone up, God has not listened to them. And I don't know if anybody gets that or not. God has not heard the prayers of the church in America. Uh, And they forget this, that uh, if if God had been hearing the prayers of the church in America from 2003, the Supreme Court would not have issued, you know, the legalization of homosexual marriages, lesbian marriages. And I could go on down the list, but it's overwhelming now. There's too much to try to navigate through. It's just evil. 
You're living in an evil time when the Attorney General of Michigan is saying that every school needs a drag queen because drag queens make everybody happy. And this is a perversion against the children. You have pedophiles all over Pedophile Island with Epstein. You have transgenders in school. You have this very sick society growing, and it's like, my goodness. I mean, this is, this is it. We're not going back. This is turning back. We're, we're, get, we're going, as someone said last night, you know, I, I can't go there because if I, if I go there, it's not going to be healthy for me. But I, I heard a dear friend of mine just flip out and uh, began to really pound the table about how the United States of America is Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's going to be incinerated, and we need an invasion. And so rather than all this talk about revival, if there was going to be a revival, we would have had a revival in the last 20 years, but there's been no revival. And so what needs to happen now is the Bible says, because we are Sodom and Gomorrah, that we will be incinerated. There are going to be cities in America that are going to be incinerated, but I don't want to go there, okay? I've already said my reality and what the Word of God says about that, but what are we looking at? What are we really looking at? All right, so I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 24 one more time, and I want to navigate through this moment because the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, I don't want to allow anybody out there, and I certainly don't want to do it um, because here is the, uh, the patience of the saints, okay? Here is the patience of the saints to be triggered to do something naturally and not spiritually could prove to be fatal to our eternal standing before God, okay? Um, And again, you have to rightly divide what I'm about to say because um, you could hear the things going on in our world. I mean, a young man uh, just went into a school in Uvalde, Texas, and walked into the school. Well, for 90 minutes, police did not go into that building, from what we understand. And for 90 minutes or so, was shooting and killing little children. Little children. A week earlier in Buffalo, New York, a young white male walked into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York with an automatic weapon and shot and killed 10 human beings. Then in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a man walked into the hospital and shot and killed four human beings. In a church, I believe it was in one in California, one in Maryland, a business in Maryland, Somebody took a weapon and shot and killed. There's a killing spree going on because the spirit of death is growing exponentially, and this nation is about to be devoured by a spirit of death, and we need to understand that, that we live in this time. And so when you stand back and you look at these events that are taking place, uh, you realize something's deadly wrong. Something's really, really wrong. And I go back just a little bit a few weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago. I shared on the radio, just a thought, no big deal. I shared about a grocery store that I was walking into in a dream, and there were dead people, and the parking lot was filled with people just bummed out. Uh, that, was the, that was the shooting in Buffalo. We dreamt it. We dreamt it before it happened in El Paso. We dreamt it. We did a lot of things. So God is speaking, and yet 
He's not saying to me personally, um, you know, go and handle this in a natural way. You know, get involved in, in battling physically, you know, and he's not doing that. But the frustration levels are getting very, very high. Um, and the fear levels are getting very, very strong. And people, believe it or not, whether you know it or not, it may be happening in, in, in anybody, uh, right beneath the layer of every man or woman's skin is a layer called panic. And there is also pain. And there is also pressure. And these three things, panic, pressure, and pain, are coming against people. And, and only the surface of their skin is hiding what's really behind that skin. And people are suffering deeply over what's happening. And there's a reality if you're a normal thinking person and you're not dumbed down uh, by drugs, alcohol, prescription drugs, uh, you know, worldly watching soap operas, eating cupcakes and ding-dongs and going to the movies every day thinking everything's well and you're pretending. If anybody's really awake, you realize that you're living in a world that you're, you're not safe anywhere you go. You're not safe if you go to the grocery store. You're not safe if you go to the movie theater. You're not safe wherever you go. The only way you can be safe is one of two ways. Just go and just, you know, roll the dice today and not going to happen to me idea. Or you, everything you do, everywhere you go, you purpose to walk in Jesus Christ. You are led by the Holy Spirit. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should tell you, don't go there today. Don't go this way today. Watch where you're going. And so there has to be intimacy and awareness in our lives about everything we do today. You know, 9-11-2001, don't go to work today. And you could go on down the list in every single situation that's ever happened, being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now is essential to our survival. And yet how to walk through all this without being afraid. Because if you're led by a spirit of fear and fear is telling you, oh, don't go there, don't go there, you can't be guided by fear. You cannot be guided by your pain. You cannot be guided by your emotions. You cannot be guided by your feelings, okay? And if God gives you an understanding about something, you need to know it's coming from the Lord, all right? A lot of times we think because the atmosphere, something's going on, so I'm not going to do this because, you know, somebody said something. I don't care what anybody says, not even what I say. If it's not by the Holy Spirit of the living God, you can't trust it. So be led by the Spirit. Now, what is happening in our world today? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to pick it up. And we know that there were three, uh, four apostles asked three questions. Uh, I'm not going to get into spending time, whether this is, you know, historical view, preterist view, symbolic view, uh, futurist view. These are the words, the timeless words of Jesus to every generation. And every human being on this earth that turns to him for answers, you, this is the one you look at right now. And so they were asking him, what will be this, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And in verse 4, Jesus says, Matthew 24, take heed that no man deceive you. All right, so every one of us need to make sure that no man deceives us. When we're watching YouTube videos, when we're watching Facebook videos, when we're listening to blog talk radio broadcasts, when we're watching television news, when we're going to church, when we're going to school, no matter where we go, no matter what we hear, take heed, Jesus said, that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name. So there's a lot of stuff going on out there and being said that doesn't even come in the name of Jesus, but be more aware 
of those who come in my name. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. Now, you know, every time you and I hear about some lunatic that's claiming to be Jesus, I just heard about some guy somewhere is claiming to be Jesus, and he's got a following, a huge following, and people follow the man because he's saying he's Jesus. But I think this is a little bit more telling. For many shall come in my name saying, I am anointed. I'm an anointed vessel. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. Well, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ or I am anointed and shall deceive many. So we need to kind of get through that and say, well, who do we know that stands before the body of Christ and comes in the name of Jesus and says, I'm anointed to tell you this? How do you find that out? Well, my measuring rod, number one, is if it lines up with the word of God, we can pay attention. But the problem is, in this Bible, there is a lot of good news. There's a gospel of grace and mercy and truth, a lot of beautiful things that belong to the body of Christ, all who believe, but then there's a lot of negative things. So anybody could pick and choose through the Bible and say what they want to say, right, to tell people something. But my measuring rod is simply this. You, you know a tree by its fruit. You know a tree by its fruit. Now, if a person says something, and I'm under the belief that this is a, a continuum. This is somebody that's proclaiming, making proclamations over and over and over again. For example, I'm doing that. I'm making proclamations over and over and over for 20 years, over and over and over again. The United States is going to collapse. It's crossed the point of no return. Get ready, prepare. And I've said many other things, like there is no pre-trib rapture. There is no once saved, always saved. I have gone down the list. I've said a lot of things, and I'm out in the open, and I'm saying it over and over and over again. And I remember when things were said years ago, talking, you know, 13 years ago, whatever it was, and missing it on something, because in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, and picking things up and seeing things happen, but they... Uh, they happened somewhere else, but not exactly the way that they were going to happen. So, you, you know, that for five years, you know, brings consternation. And because, you know, this is a very serious path. How many years have people been saying peace and safety to America? How many years have people been saying it's all going to turn around and it's all going to get better? How many people right now are saying there's going to be a great red wave? And there's going to be a Republican uh, tidal wave and tsunami of people getting elected into office. And then Donald Trump's going to return by November to be the president of the United States to turn America back to God. How many people? Probably as many people were saying he was going to win the election. Probably as many people as were saying that he's the real president. Maybe how many years were people saying that everything's okay. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. One of the only ways anybody can guard themselves from being deceived is by knowing the truth. And the only way to know the truth is to be filled with the spirit of truth and know the word of God. There is no other first primary position of knowing truth 
There's no analytical way of saying, here it is. This is truth. One plus one is true. One plus one is what? Two, and that's true, right? How do you know that? By the mathematical scale. So how do you know truth other than by the scale of Scripture and the Spirit of God to give you wisdom to understand how that works? If I take one twig and I take another twig and I look at them, there's two of them. One plus one is two. I have the mental genius to get that understood. I've got the facts. I've got the teaching. It tells me that. But now I understand it. To understand Scripture is essential for survival, to know the truth. So when somebody comes talking to us and we're listening to what they're saying, I need to be able to measure what they're saying by the word of God, by the scale of Scripture, and then trust the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and understanding and revelation. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's true. And you have to measure it. And then you look through this truth. So the number one thing Jesus warns us about is deception. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to deceive. I would rather go sit in a corner of the universe and be left alone and just wait to go to heaven one day than to be out in the public eye, whether big or small, and not be telling the truth. And so I do everything I can to look in the Word of God to present what the Word of God says. Here's the scale of Scripture. You need the Spirit of God to bear witness or not bear witness to what you're saying. But we can honestly say that through the years and through our learning processes and going through everything and getting refined in the refiner's fire so that we can have a clarion call to the nations in these end times, well, much, much of what we have said has come to pass. It's true. It is the truth. And that's important. That's important. Jesus went on to say, not only beware of deception, but in verse 6, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So while we live in a world right now that is saturated, with deception and lies, calling good evil, calling evil good, saturated with deception from the pulpits of the churches to the political pulpits all around this country and around the world, and through the pulpits of Hollywood, the pul- every, everywhere, deception everywhere. Now, alongside of that, we have wars. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, Well, we've been hearing about war in the Ukraine with Russia, NATO forces, U.S. forces, rumors of wars amping up, Israel getting ready to go to war with Iran, Iran getting the fission necessary. They now have everything they need for their nuclear bomb. It's there. It's done, they're saying. Um, So we have this society that we live in, in our generation, through the timeless words of Jesus, Two of the things that Jesus said are happening before our very eyes. And then he said, see that you be not troubled. Ah, all right. Even though there's, uh, don't, you're, you're aware, there's wars. It's starting to ramp up, but don't be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now the Lord's going to accelerate the thought. Of alongside of the rumors of wars, alongside of deception, is now going to come, nation shall rise 
against nation. The word nation is ethnos. It means race. Race shall rise against race. Okay? Two police officers shot and killed in Los Angeles, California two days ago in El Monte, California. Um, two police officers shot and killed. Um, a predominant Mexican community, children shot and killed. Afro-American men and women, Buffalo, New York, shot and killed. White people, shot and killed. Go on down the list. Concert, Las Vegas, Nevada, predominantly white people. Country concert, killed. So this war, this ethnos, this nation against nation, North Korea, rising. Iran, rising. Russia, rising. China, rising. All these nations rising. Israel trying to rise. But today, Israel, right now, is hosting the largest homosexual Pride Month parade in the world, right, in Tel Aviv. The largest homosexual gathering, and they're trying everything in their power to homosexualize the Palestinians. Isn't that kind of weird when you think about it? It's all weird, but you cannot stand back and say, Israel and America are going to stand united in the power and the force of strength against us. Right now, the Israel and the United States are Sodom and Gomorrah, and God is probably going to use China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran to blow the living daylights out of these, these, these countries. And that's why you have to be in the right place at the right time. God's not playing games with America. God doesn't have any favorites. You know, God hates what's going on in our country. And in, for Tel Aviv, Israel, for Tel Aviv, Israel, to be hosting the largest homosexual gathering in the world in the month of shame, called June, is such a rebellion. And yet there's so many Christians going, oh, Israel, Israel, Israel. It's such an abomination. So you know what's coming. We know what's coming, but here we go. So we have these, these ethnos against ethnos, race against race, nation against nation. Then he said kingdom shall rise against kingdom. So we got kingdoms fighting kingdoms. That's going to be in the Middle East. It's all over the world. We have nation rising against nation. We have wars. We have rumors of wars. We have great deception from every source of information coming out everywhere. And he's telling the disciples, hey, disciples, back in that day when Jesus spoke it and disciples right now listening, he's saying, listen, this is what it's going to look like. And then he went on to say, and there shall be famines. Wow. How many people are dying of famine globally around the world right now with the droughts that are happening, with the water levels in Odessa, Texas, just this week? In Odessa, Texas, they had a water burst. There was no water for the people to drink. They couldn't flush their toilets. Get ready for the electromagnetic pulse. Get ready for the lights out when you won't be able to flush your toilet unless you're totally prepared for what's coming upon this nation. So he says there's going to be famines. We're seeing famines. How about pestilences? Wow, 2020, the pandemic, right? The big pestilence that hit Germany or South America. No, it hit the world. What was this pestilence? It was a pestilence of lies, a pestilence of deceit, a pestilence uh, that was killing millions of people around the world, right? So whatever this was, Man, it's, it's right there in the scriptures, famines and pestilences. Oh, and earthquakes. And earthquakes are just natural disasters. 
hurricanes or natural disasters, typhoons or natural disasters, tsunamis or natural disasters, volcano eruptions are natural disasters, and we could go on down the list. And what has happened in our country before our very eyes for how many years now? We have seen one natural disaster after another. But alongside of that, we've also seen what? The blood red moons, the tetrad of blood red moons. We've seen the sun darkened. We've seen the stars line up at Revelation 12. We've had evidence in the sun, moon, and stars, but that's another story. Jesus goes on. He says, you're going to see these things in different places. And then what did he say? Now, now let's be honest here. Not one thing that Jesus just said is missing in our generation. And, and, and you can mark it in the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, but go back to our generation, and I do believe that Israel, in 1948, when it came back and was ratified, began a generational countdown, being 70 years, and if by strength, 80. And today, back in May, just a month or so ago, Israel turned 74 years. We're right now 74 years into the final generation upon this earth. I happen to believe that. Okay, we'll see. Time will tell. But it makes sense to me that that's when this clock began. When you see the fig tree put forth their branches, know that summer is nigh. And I think there is some prophetic sim- symbology in that. And to see 1,900 years of pe- a, a scattered people come together, that is significant. And then to see that ratified in 1967 and to see it as a great flowing, bursting nation today is phenomenal. And there's a lot of prophecy around that. So, you know, we've got six years left. And, you know, they talk about a three and a half year great tribulation within the final generation. And folks, I think we're there. I think we're right there on the precipice. Maybe some people say already, you know, tiptoeing into the very beginnings of this thing because of the craziness. But here's what Jesus said. He said, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. These are not the signs of a great revival coming. These are not the signs of everything's going to be all right. These are not the signs of, uh, you know, anything but. These are the signs, everything you're seeing, the soaring gas prices, the economy being 30-some-odd trillion dollars in debt, the hostilities around the world, the deception coming out of everywhere, grave deception coming out of everywhere. These are not the signs of anything but the beginning of a woman's travail. These are the birth pangs, the beginning of the birth pangs. And every single thing that Jesus said has been happening These birth pangs have been underway in our generation. The very next thing that Jesus says in verse 9, the four-letter word there, then, understand that here's the beginning of sorrows, then is a connecting word to the next thing that's going to happen. So what is the next thing going to happen? And by the way, I want to ask you a question since you're taking notes I want to ask you a question. In everything we just read uh, that Jesus said the environment would look like, okay, in the beginning of sorrows, did the Lord hint at, did the Lord make any comment referring to a pre-tribulation rapture? 
Did, it, did we read anywhere in those first nine verses or eight verses that don't worry about it when these things are happening because you're going to be gone in a pre-trib rapture? Not yet, right? So verse 9 goes on to say, Then, as the beginning of the labor pains begin, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Now he's talking not about the in general global thing that's going on. Now the Lord is talking about and directly to the disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then you need to hear because you're the generation that's witnessing all of these things happening in our generation. They weren't happening a generation ago, but in our generation, the acceleration that has taken place is obvious, right? So then he said, then, disciples, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. Now, what I'm going to do at this point, because I think it's wise to do it, I simply want to get into a little bit of definition, and I just want to put up that word to be afflicted and just kind of take a peek at it. There's a lot of words that say afflicted. Wow, look at all those scriptures with affliction. Wow, my goodness. But here we go. This is the one we want. And uh, we're going to take it from here, and we're going to go right here. So when he says, they will deliver you up to be afflicted. Now, this is talking to the disciples and the generation to which this prophecy has come. It's the thlipsis. The word afflicted means thlipsis. You've probably heard that Greek word before, thlipsis, because it is the word for tribulation. It's the same word. In the Bible, it talks about tribulation. The word tribulation means thlipsis in the Greek, and the the definition is a pressing. So I want to ask you a question. Are men and women of God who have faith in Jesus Christ in our generation right now, after witnessing all the labor pains, the beginning of sorrows, are we beginning to experience a little pressure or a pressing together? Some ah. oppression, tribulation, persecution. That's the definition of the word. And the answer is what? Absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt. Then the Lord said, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. You're going to be, the pressure is going to start to hit your life. It's happening right now. And shall kill you. And shall kill you. Jesus looked at the disciples in the eye And said to them, when you see all these things begin to come to pass, okay, when in in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8, all these signs globally, in general, around the world, when you see them, there's going to be a shift all of a sudden. And they're going to begin to put, the world powers are going to begin to press against the Christian church, the disciples of Christ, the true ones. And there's going to be persecution, and they're going to begin to kill you. Now, we don't have to wait for it to begin in America. It's already begun in our world. Christians around the world are being persecuted and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. It is not an American gospel. It doesn't have to happen in America first to make it so. But the persecution and the killing of Christians in America is banging at the doors of this country, if you haven't noticed it yet. 
and nothing that's happening is turning it away. Listen to this. He goes on to say, not only will they afflict you and kill you, you shall be hated. That word is maseo, and it means to be pursued with hatred. It means to be detested. Very strong language. It is the miseo is the Greek word, and it just means um, just to detest and to persecute. So the hatred is going to be very, very powerful. I mean, you're going to start hearing it. Those Christians, those Christians, those conservatives, those moralists, those right wing, those people. It's going to, and it's going to move to Christians, and you're hearing it like on the View and other places. It's growing. The animosity, the enmity, the satanic enmity against the church of Jesus Christ is growing, but it's already happening around the world. This hatred is already there. It's coming to the shores of America, not as a sign. The sign's already there. Okay? It's coming against us. So we'll be hated of all, of all nations. So believers around the world are going to undergo being afflicted, they're going to be killed, they're going to be hated of all nations. It's going to happen everywhere, not all, it's all, not some, all. So it's going to happen in our country, and it's already beginning to grow here because of our falling away, our backslidden reality, and we've capitulated to the powers of darkness. So then he says in verse 10, and then shall many be offended. Hmm. Many shall be offended. The word offended there, is the scandalizo, the scandalizo, you know, a scandal, right? A scandalizo literally means to entrap. It means many are going to get trapped. Many are going to get tripped up and stumble. They are going to be enticed to sin, to apostasy, or displeasure. In other words, because of the pressure because of the hatred, because of the killing, because of the persecution, many disciples, many followers of Jesus Christ are going to fall into the trap and they are going to get tripped up in their walk. They're going to stumble in their faith. They are going to be enticed to sin. Maybe that sin is to get angry and hate and all of that. Maybe it is to get into the apostasy or the displeasure. And so we have to be very careful about falling into the trap of getting angry and getting full of hate by the things that are going on. And because it's going to come strong against us, the tendency is going to want to be able to push back, right? Well, here he's saying that this is going to be uh, a, a trap. Um, I like this part of the definition, since one who stumbles or whose foot gets entangled feels annoyed. So when you stumble, you get, get miffed. And the things that we're hearing right now, we're getting miffed, right? And, I mean, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And it says to cause to fall away. So when people get offended, they fall into a trap, and they're going to eventually fall away and wither away. Jesus born in Luke 21, as a snare, shall it come upon the whole earth, and they shall not escape. Jesus is warning all disciples about the environment and the pressure that's coming and how many people, many people are going to be offended. And then shall many be offended. Many disciples 
are going to fall and stumble in the days that we live in. It's already happening around the world. It's happening in this country. And it's going to happen like people have never dreamed before. I want to ask you a question. Not only shall many be offended, what will they do? When you're in the trap, when your faith stumbles, when you get there, they shall betray one another. Again, the word paradotomy, uh, it's the best way not to say it, paradidomy. The word betray means to surrender or yield up or commit or deliver up into prison. In other words, the offended Christian, the offended disciple, is going to go after the ones who are walking with the Lord. The offended ones who fall into the trap, they lose their faith, they get into hate and anger. Um, they are now useful to the powers of darkness, like many of the Jewish people during Nazi Germany that were turning in their family members, turning in their neighbors. It was happening everywhere because some of those Jewish people were promised a position in the Nazi concentration camps to keep them from being incinerated. They would take the notes and, tech, you know, do all the work, but they were betraying in Nazi Germany. And that is a microcosm of the betrayal that's going to happen in these end times where people are going to be going to authorities. They're going to be going places for one reason or other. They got offended by something. They're in the trap now. Now they're just useful to the powers of darkness, and they're going to betray believers. They're going to betray their brothers and their sisters. I want to ask you a question one more time. Let's go back. Not only will they betray, in verse 10, but they will hate one another. So in verse 10, you have they will, many will be offended, and then the reaction to that offense will they will betray one another, they will hate one another. It's the same word of the world and the powers of darkness hating the saints. It's the same word that they will hate, detest. So in other words, once disciple has now fallen and has been filled with hate. Two things come to my mind when, when I'm reading this. The number one thing that comes to my mind is, well... Notice that Jesus didn't say to the disciples that are going to be betrayed, the disciples that are going to be hated, that there's going to be a great escape before that happens. Again, nowhere in this passage does Jesus Christ talk about a pre-tribulational rapture. He does not talk about a secret pre-trib rapture. He doesn't talk about a wide-open pre-trib rapture. He doesn't say, I'm going to come before this happens. He said, no, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be detested. You're going to be betrayed. All these things are happening. You're going to be here. You're going to walk through it. All the disciples that are on the planet are going right through this. And the second thing that comes to my mind when I read that is that a high level of this persecution is coming from people who were once saved. They were once disciples themselves. And they got offended and they fell away and they were filled with hate. Once saved, always saved, has been obliterated by this simple passage. 
but it's one of the great deceptions that are being touted in churches everywhere in the world today. Once saved, always saved. You're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus and you could live any way you want. You could live in lust. You could live in pride. You could live in, uh, you could fool yourself. You can convince yourself you're saved and going to heaven. And yet your ways are going to cause you to fall into a trap. You're going to hate people you once loved. You're going to betray people you once loved. And then Where's the salvation in that? There is none. There is no salvation. And Jesus is obliterating that doctrine, once saved, always saved, which is this verse. We've got an entire new covenant that tells us differently than that, but people believe it because it's one of the great deceptions. And when you feel like you're going to heaven regardless how you live, then if you betray your brother or you hate your brother or you're offended at your brother, or you have bitter resentment in your heart towards your brother or your sister, that doesn't move you because you're still going to heaven because you believe in Jesus. And yet the Bible says the devils believe in Jesus and are saved. Then he comes down. In verse 11, many false prophets, false prophets, shall rise and shall deceive many. Who are the false prophets? I believe the false prophets are the people that are saying to the Christian community of disciples that have fallen into the trap, that betray their brothers, sisters, they have hate in their heart. The false prophets are telling them, you're saved by grace. I believe that people that are under the spell of demons actually believe they're saved. And the false prophets are going to come alongside and tell them, it's okay. You're saved. Even though you don't forgive those bad people, even though you hate those bad people, even though you hate, and the bad people are really the good people, but here's the delusion. You see, this is scripture. I want to ask you a question. Is this happening already? Is this underway? Is everything, has everything we read so far become a reality? Are we still waiting for it to show up? It's happening everywhere. We don't know how many people are betraying their family members in Islamic countries who are putting a knife to their neck. We don't know how many people, Christian disciples, have hate in their heart towards their own people because they're offended by their their self-righteous ways or their holier-than-thou ways or because they said something that offended them to get them ready because they didn't like to give up their sin. We don't know. We don't know how many people are already in this condition. We don't know who's sitting next to us in our own church buildings that's harboring an offense, that's ready to launch it. We don't know. It'll show up. It'll show up. Now, in verse 12, Jesus said, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. All right, well, iniquity is going to abound. What is iniquity? It's the anomia. And the anomia is a condition without law. In other words, lawlessness. Lawlessness. We see lawlessness where the man who shot the two police officers in Los Angeles two days ago 
was out the next day with a minor charge of weapons possession. And he was let go. We see these young kids breaking into stores, robbing, and everybody standing around watching. We watched in 2021 and 2020 and 20 parts of 2022 uh, city streets of America taken over by violent mobs of people that were setting on fire buildings and cars and, and governmental properties, and people stood by. We saw with our own eyes lawlessness, right? So he said, and because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That phrase there, shall wax cold, is the suko, and it means to cool down. It means to grow cold. It means to reduce the temperature. And we're called to what? We're called to fervent love. Members in the body of Christ, we are called to have fervent love, hot, passionate love, the agape love, not the perverted love. We're supposed to have that. And yet, because of the lawlessness, because of all the offenses, because of the persecution, because of the pressure, because of being afflicted, because it's all turning inward against the church, the hostilities of the powers of darkness are coming against the church, and all the world under the power of the devil is being used by the devil to come against it, Christians are going to lose their love. Because they're looking at the lawlessness, they're going to take things into their own hands in some degree. And the love of many, again, listen to the verbiage, the love of many. It's always the many. The false prophet shall deceive many. Many will be offended. You go on down the list and it's all about the many, the many, the many. Not the few, the many. Verse 13, Jesus said, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So, if people are not enduring, but their love is waxing cold, they're not saved. There it is, right there in your Bible, not trying to shift it to fit an idea. It's right there. Many people's love will wax cold. Many will be offended. Many will betray. Many will hate. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure what? I'm not going to hate. I'm not going to betray. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to allow my love to wax cold. No, I'm going to guard my heart for out of it flow the issues of life. <clears throat> and I'm not going to allow anybody... <clears throat> excuse me, to rile me up, to get me to go do something that is going to be stupid. I'm going to wait for instructions from the Holy Spirit of God that line up with the Word of God. I'm not going to base my decision upon uh, a 200-year-old war. I'm not going to base my decision upon about history. I'm going to base my decision on the Word of God, what the Word of God uh, allows for and calls me to. Right now, 
We're talking about our souls. You see, the reality is, is our soul is eternal. And if we blow it now and we don't endure and we allow our love to wax cold and we get offended and we begin to betray and we begin to hate and we get an environmental thing, we go crazy out there, our soul will be lost and damned forever. That's why he used the word endure, but he that shall endure. The word endure is the hoopaneo or the hoopomeno. And that word hoopomeno means whoever remains, whoever stays under during this incredible time that's going on, whoever undergoes a trial and bears up under a trial, whoever has the fortitude to persevere, to take patiently the injustices and the ills, even when we are betrayed by others in our own family. Jesus said, there'd be five in a family, three against two. Daughters would betray their mothers and daughter-in-laws, their mothers-in-laws, and fathers would betray their sons and sons, their fathers. They would put their children to death. I mean, what's ready to happen in the realm of betrayal is so amazing, and only those who have the genuine agape love of God, which many have had the love of God, but they allowed it to wax cold. So we're not basing our salvation about what we, what we once had. We're basing our salvation on enduring what's coming upon this earth. You see, true Christianity is going to be refined in the fire, and the fiery trials are coming. Some of the fiery trials have already been here. And we got to guard our heart. We got to check ourselves. We got to hold it. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to bring ourselves before the light of the gospel and measure Am I holding a grudge? Am I bitter? Am I being resentful? Do I have offense in my heart? Is, is there anything there that would cause me to do something negative to somebody else? You better examine it big time. I want to ask you another question. I'm so sorry to do it. I know you're grown up children, but I got to ask you Did Jesus anywhere? In, those, in, in these verses say, you're going to disappear in a pre-tribulational rapture. Did he say, once saved, always saved? Don't worry about it. You're going to get offended. You know, it's going to be tough times. Your love's going to grow cold. But I got you at the end of it. You know, it's just a moment. I love you too much to allow you to go into hell and lake of fire. Does he say it anywhere? No. He says, if you don't endure, you're not saved. If you don't endure the ills against you now with the small stuff, how will you run with the chariots or the prancing horses if you're not able to contend with the footmen? The prophet Jeremiah asked that question. The little trials that we've all had, and I want to tell you, whatever you've been through up until this moment, you may have deemed it as a really big trial. It's only a practice rehearsal to what's coming on this earth. And that's why we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. That's the instruction. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Your love for God and for the church and for all human beings is the most vital resource and power in your life. If we don't have love, we are not saved. And, and I'm not saying love is weak because Jesus is perfect love, and yet he took a whip into the temple. He called the Pharisees the children of the devil. So I'm not going along with their goofy, perverted sense of love. 
of a solical, emotional, feelings-oriented love. I'm talking about a love that will rebuke the living daylights out of somebody to save their soul. Or uh, a love that will get on the rooftops and shout out about what is evil. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's not wrong. Telling people what they're doing is evil and will send them to hell is love if it's really coming out of love. What I'm saying is that your love, Jesus is saying your love is the most important thing. And there's going to be everything around you that's going to try to destroy it. And many are going to allow it to happen. The love of many shall wax cold, but he who endures to the end. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. We don't have to take this into our own hands. It doesn't mean you don't have to, you know, you're not allowed to shout out against the injustice. A little bit more time, though, you shout out against injustice in this insane society, you may be persecuted for it. So those who are bold today may not be so bold tomorrow. So you better get your shout out if you can, right? Verse 14, Jesus then said, with all that's happening, the beginning of sorrows and the major labor pains, right? And this gospel of the kingdom, which is totally different than everything else on the world, shall be preached in all the world. Okay, we're called to preach the gospel of the kingdom in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. All the nations on the earth, nations being races, ethnos, all the nations on the earth need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. And you can't wait for the, you know, the evangelist or TBN to preach the gospel. You and I are called to preach the gospel to everyone we come into contact with. Not so easy nowadays, is it? But it is being proclaimed throughout the world. But we shouldn't be lazy when we have an opportunity to preach the gospel of the kingdom to anybody. We should do it with all of our heart because we love them and we want to forewarn them and tell them that at the end of this life, which is a vapor, we're all going to give an account to God. Now, Jesus now moves his congregation into some pretty deep territory. And again, we're looking at it right here, right now. Okay, We're not going back to 70 AD or any other time in the history of the church age because everything we just read is happening right now and is about to happen, the heavy-duty stuff we were just talking about. So it's all swirling. So then why take this and put it way back there? We're not going to do that. Verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Okay. What is what are we to understand? The abomination of desolation is the Antichrist. The abomination of desolation is Lucifer. We find him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's standing in the holy place. Let's take a look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll be referring to this again in a little bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's begging the believers to understand what he's saying because they were all running around, and there were people running around saying, hey, the rapture's coming any moment now. 
any moment, it was called the doctrine of imminency. Any moment, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And people were hearing, oh, it's coming any moment. So I'm not going to get a job. I'm not going to pay my bills. I'm, going to, I'm just going to live like in this panic mode. And so Paul is writing a letter to the Christians that are being freaked out over this message, the pre-tribulational, but it's coming any minute. And he said this, I beseech you, verse 1, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to them about the coming of the Lord, which he just talked to him about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we could talk about in a second. So he said, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, because of 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord returns from heaven, the dead in Christ rise, we get uh, caught up to meet the Lord in the air in a translation, and he's talking about his coming and our gathering together. It's right there, 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, I'm begging you that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. This doctrine of imminency, any day, any moment, any day, any moment. There are ministries all over this world talking like that. Christians, get ready. Any minute. It's coming. He's coming. I heard a man say, he and his girlfriend or wife or whatever, they bought a brand new truck, but they didn't think about having to pay for it because they knew the end was coming. Now, Paul writes, and he says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. He's saying you're hearing about, he's coming, he's coming, it's pre-trib, it's imminent, here it comes, watch out. And, and you're all living nervous. And, and you're thinking, I'm going to be out of here, I'm going to be out of here. Because they were seeing signs in their generation. Every generation sees some signs, nothing like we're seeing now. It's so prophetic, it's bursting. And then he says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day? The day of the Lord coming and our gathering together unto him. That's the day he's referring to. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Oh! <gasps> The man of sin, the abomination of desolation. So he said, that day, the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him is not going to happen until there's a falling away, which Jesus just talked about in Matthew 24, about the love of many waxing cold. That day shall not come till there's a falling away and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He is the abomination of desolation who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So where is this son of perdition, this antichrist, this Lucifer? And we say Lucifer because it's the exact description of Isaiah chapter 14. He opposes everything called God, sits in the temple of God, saying, I am God. We expect that a temple will be built in Israel. We expect that Lucifer, embodied in a body, is going to step into that temple. He's going to stand in it. He's going to sit in it. And he's going to declare himself to be God in the final days on this earth. A man of sin is coming. The Antichrist. There's been many Antichrists. The Antichrist. 
is coming. He will come when the world has been reduced in its population. He will come and he will begin the greatest tribulation that the world has ever known. And it's going to be a time of dread terror upon this earth. And you're going to see all the events that Jesus was talking about. So I want to get back to Matthew 24 again. So when you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let them understand. So when the news media of the world, because there's going to be trouble right now, right? There's going to be forecasts and broadcasts and lights out and all kinds of stuff is going to be taking place. But suddenly, a temple's going to arise. Suddenly, a man is going to come to power. The world is going to be shaken to its core by the population reduction of over 4 billion people at this point. After the lights out, a new order is going to come online. And the man of sin will take his position. And he will have a religious ideology about him and a global ideology about him, and a governmental ideology about him. And he will be possessed. He will be the embodiment of what others have only been partially embodied by. It will be Lucifer. It will be the son of perdition. It will be the Antichrist. And he will begin a three and a half year, well, let's let Jesus say it. In verse 16, When you see this happen, Jesus said, let them which are in Judea, so if you're in Judea, flee into the mountains. So I know a lot of Christians live in Jerusalem today. I was there a number of times in Israel. We met Christians everywhere. So if you're a Christian living in Jerusalem or you're in that area of the world and you see this event happen, you need to do something. You need to what? Flee into the mountains. What if you're watching the broadcast? of the Savior of the world, going into a rebuilt temple, and you're living in uh, South America or in Europe or you're uh, in, in the United States, and you're watching the inauguration of this man, and he's coming to sit down to help the world through the, all the crises that have just happened. Well, if you're there, you better go to the mountains. What if you're here? What if you're in South America? What if you're there? You're a believer. Jesus said this, <clears throat> let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. If you're a mother nursing and there's a baby there and you're involved, I mean, woe to those who have this in that day. And then he said in verse 20, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, because you don't want to go into the mountains. You don't want to flee into the deserts. You don't want to go into the wilderness. Pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on the Sabbath day because you're resting and reclining and you don't want to have to hurry through it, right? For then, verse 21, he's not talking about a preacher of rapture. He's not talking about anybody disappearing. He's not talking about anybody leaving the planet. No secret, hurry up, pre, you know, imminent removal. It's not here. It doesn't exist. He says this in 21, for then... Listen carefully to the words. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, 
no, nor ever shall be. Well, if that was talking about 70 AD, you better recalculate your thoughts about Nazi Germany and the concentration camps and the incineration of over 6 million Jewish people, because that was worse than 70 AD. And right, quite frankly, what's about to happen is going to be worse than that. That was just for the Jewish people in Germany. What's ready to happen to the whole world is a persecution and a tribulation that's going to make everything else behind it be insignificant. But Jesus just said that this will be a time of great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time when it happens, nor ever shall be again. It's the final great tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. The world has known many tribulation times. The ecclesia has known tribulation time. But there's one coming that will make all of the past ones eclipse, and there will never be anything like it ever again. And the world is set up for it right now. Nobody's running in a, great, in a, in a pre-trib rapture. Nobody's hiding. It's happening. It's hitting the world. And verse 22 says, and except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So the elect are going to be here. What are the shortening of the days? God said it very plainly. Revelation 13, Revelation 11 and 12, 1260 days is the time frame for this great tribulation. 42 months, three and a half years. 1260 days. They're all the same exact time frame. He shortened the days, and that's why he's given us wisdom to get ready to have to go through and endure to the end a three and a half year global great tribulation period. If you're in Judea, you get to the mountains. I guess God's preparing something in the mountains. Revelation 12, there's a woman going into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God. And if you're right here in the good old USA, you better have found the place that God wants you to be in. And searching it out where God wants you to go because you may die during the great tribulation, having washed your robes in the blood of the lamb. Like Revelation 7 says, the majority of the saints are going into the tribulation. They're going to be persecuted and hated like the Christians were during the Inquisition when the Vatican assassins known as the Jesuits and the Catholic Church were bringing persecution against those who read their Bible. Uh, It's going to be like the days of the Reformation. Uh, it, it's just a time. It's coming. But these are previews of the main event. The main event is blowing down at the door right now. Verse 23. If any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And if the very elect are going to be on the earth, they call them tribulation saints. The others are gone. No, it's not. Nobody's leaving. Do you see that? Nobody's leaving. Those who are alive in this, in this generation that are going to have to go through are going to have to go through it. The elect's sake, the purest of us, you know, are going to be in the wilderness. And, but for their sake, it's only, they're only going to have to do this for three and a half years. So, behold, verse 25. I've told you before. So Jesus just answered the question. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Verse 26, wherefore, if they say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What does that mean? Every eye shall see him. 
His coming is not going to be the secret preacher rapture. His coming is going to be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. And all scripture in the New Testament confirms this. Every eye shall see him. Where do they come up with this imminent, secret, we're out of here? Unnerving people and getting them unprepared for what's coming. It's a doctrine of demons. Then Jesus said, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. It's an idiom used for when you see all these things begin to come to, happen, come to pass. It's like vultures over meat. And all the signs right now are the signs you need to know these things are about to happen. And that in verse 29, the master teacher, Jesus Christ himself, says, boy, they'd love to cut this out of scripture. Verse 29, immediately, immediately, after, after, immediately after the tribulation of those days, which has never been before and will never be again, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's his coming. When does it happen? Immediately after. And watch this. In verse 31, he shall send his angels. He doesn't even make landfall here. He doesn't touch the earth. He sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, 1 Thessalonians 4, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. The harvest, the second coming, the Lord doesn't touch the earth. The trumpet sounds, the angels go forth, they gather together. Where have I heard that before? Oh, it's in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. What did it say? You just read it in Matthew, right? Oh, hurry up, get there so we don't lose the essence. First Thessalonians chapter 4, it's got to be in something. Let's see. Verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Okay, the Apostle Paul doesn't want us ignorant. Concerning them which are asleep. Uh-oh, he's talking about dead people. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about dead people. He said that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Okay. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be sorrowful uh, like people that have no hope about dead people. He says, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which die or sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So number one about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's not talking about a pre-tribulational rapture is talking about dead people rising. He's talking about the resurrection. All right? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. We were just reading the word of the Lord in Matthew 24. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. There's only one coming of the Lord. Immediately after the tribulation, we that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord means we've endured to the end of that great tribulation period because he's coming 
right after the great tribulation, shall not prevent them which are asleep, the dead people. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. We just read that. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where's the secret, imminent, pre-tribulational rapture? The Lord comes with a shout. That's not secret. The Lord comes with a trumpet. That's not secret. The Lord sends his angels, just like in Matthew 24, there's a trumpet. There are the angels. And all Paul's saying in his revelation is the dead in Christ, when they hear that trumpet, are going to rise first. Then those who endure to the end or are alive and remaining are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But every eye is going to see him. It's not a secret event. And yet every single movie about a preacher of rapture, you never see a resurrection in it. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the favorite passage of the people that preach a pre-tribulational rapture. And it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the resurrection. That's deception. And that deception is running rampant everywhere. So why do we go through these scriptures? Why do we go through these passages? Because this is critical to our salvation. This is critical to our walk with God today. Love is the most precious commodity. Pirates are coming for the treasure. The pirates want to rip the love of God out of our hearts as much as the abortionists want to rip the life of a child out of the womb of a mother. They are insensitive. They do not care about your feelings. That abortionist will go right into that womb and take that baby and pull his head out and suck the brains out to get it out and pull that life right out and let his blood go into the sinks and the toilets. They don't care. They don't see it as life. They have dehumanized the life of a baby in a womb. And they will dehumanize every person on this planet and they will go in to rip the love of Christ out of every heart. And you and I have been warned about this time. And the false church has told us, don't worry, you won't be here. That doesn't help anybody get prepared. That doesn't enable people to take up their cross and say, you know what, no matter what happens, if they kill me, if they spit in my face, if they betray me, if they do all manner of evil and injustice, I'm not giving up my love for God, and I'm not going to stop loving. I refuse to give up my love. And this treasure that I have, which is Christ, I'm asking God to protect it. I want to keep it. I do not want to do anything stupid. Here is the patience of the saints. Now, there's another side of this conversation. You don't have to have hate in your heart. <laughs> I'll save that for maybe tomorrow. All right, so anyways, I am going to have to run. It's 1030. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the broadcast today. Um, and I want you to know that, yes, if you need prayer today, um, I want to give that number to you. If you're, to, if you're just needing prayer, man, you're just kind of heavy today and just thinking, you know, I really just need to you know, bear my heart. I need to pray. I need, I need prayer. I need someone to pray for me. I'm just not feeling it. 
Um, call the number on the screen, 479-233-3774. If you've been buried in false doctrine, if you've been believing that I don't have to worry, I don't have to prepare because, you know, God is good and these things will never happen to me because I'll be out of here in the secret preacher rapture. And all of a sudden you've been awakened and you're going, oh, my gosh, that's truth right there. That was truth. That wasn't somebody trying to defend a position. That's truth. Man, that's truth. Whoa, and you're stunned by it? Go ahead and get prayer. If you're in sin right now, if you're being tempted to hold a grudge, if you're, if you're just in a place in your life where, you know, I'm so nervous, I need to smoke a cigarette, or I need to smoke a joint, I need some calm in my life. Maybe sniff a little Coke or shoot a little heroin in my arms. Maybe, maybe I need some pornography. Maybe I need to have it a, an affair. Maybe I need to commit adultery. Maybe I need to, uh, you know, watch pornography. Maybe those are not the answers. They're not the answers. They will not solve any of your mental problems. They will take you deeper into bondage. You need God's spirit. We all need the golden Holy Spirit. He represents this golden rich olive oil. He's better than pornography. He's better than sex. He's better than money. He's better than drugs. He's better than alcohol. He's better than all of it. He's better. I promise you, it's true. He is life. He is comfort. He is truth. He is peace. He is joy. He is love. Holy Spirit is what you're looking for. Well, I think I have the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I think I'm okay. No, no, Holy Spirit would convict you about smoking because you're killing your lungs. No, he would convict you because you're killing your brain cells. He doesn't do that. He's a spirit of life. Call the number. Call the number. I'm going to go beat the living daylights out of us. I can't handle this injustice anymore. No, he's the spirit of patience and the spirit of peace and the spirit of love. I'm not going to let hate and anger guide my life. Because if I let hate and anger guide my life, I'm going to do things that I'm going to, I'm going to appease that anger. I'm going to appease that hate, but I'm going to damn my soul. Holy Spirit's the answer to everything, folks. He's the one that will guide you into the wilderness. He'll, he's the one that will guide you into the mountains. He'll guide you into the desert. He'll guide you into any refuge. He'll guide you through this storm. He'll bring you through. He promised to do it, and I refuse to believe any other way. The Holy Spirit will let you know exactly what you need to do. And that's just a fact. That is just a fact. See you tomorrow. Call the number 479-233-3774. Have a blessed Thursday. Shalom.